Welcome from cold, wet California. I've just returned from Germany. I have a bit of a cold, so apologies if my voice isn't as perfect as it should be. The wet the weather here isn't that much different from Germany, it has to be said, it's winter. And the theme today, kind of coinciding with having been in Germany and now being in California with similar weather, is New World versus Old World, which was a topic suggested by listener Adam Bouhagia, who wanted to kind of tease out the differences between the wines of what we call sometimes the Old World and what we sometimes call the New World. And these are controversial um, differentiations. What do they actually mean? Are these um, differentiations really helpful? Are they real? Do they actually have any substance to them? Do they help us taste in blind tastings? And do they help understand the um, culture of these different uh, regions across the world? So there are many um, contradictions between the idea of Old World and New World. So in general, Old World refers to European wines, which are traditional and historic and have influenced winemakers across the world. Whereas New World refers to countries with younger winemaking traditions. However, there are many contradictions to those two simple definitions. First of all, most European vines are grafted onto North American roots because of phylloxera. So can we really speak about an old versus New World culture when the former is so reliant on the latter? It would be impossible to make the majority of wine in the Old World were it not for the North American rootstocks which prevent the spread of phylloxera. Perhaps the best way to distinguish Old versus New World is to think of where Vitis vinifera originated and where it was imported to. So for example, Vitis vinifera is found all across Europe and then it was spread to North America, South America, South Africa, Australia and New Zealand. And so Vitis vinifera has been planted in Europe and the Old World for centuries, if not millennia, whereas in the Old World it's only been there for several hundred years or younger. But even that is an overly simplistic definition, as it limit as it would technically limit Old World to Georgia and Armenia, because that's where Vitis vinifera originally comes from, and that was brought by the Phoenicians thousands of years ago. So if Georgia and Armenia are the only places that can be technically called Old World if we were limiting it to Vitis vinifera, even that definition is helpful only up to a degree. We also have to consider that many New World regions are older than some of the famous Old World regions. For example, in Chile, vines were first planted in the 1550s, so getting on for 500 years now, and wine has been made there ever since. Whereas in Sauterne, the first sweet wines were only made in the early 1800s. And also, making that Bordeaux comparison, which we of course think of one of the most historic and important winemaking regions in the world, plantings in South Africa often predate those of the Omidoc, and that's because plantings in Omidoc were only possible when the Dutch drained the marshes in the 1600s. So there's a lot of back and forth between the age of these regions and whether we should consider them old or new world. And of course we have to think of the political history of these different regions as well. So for example the wines in Mexico uh, with the vines first planted in the 1520s, were quickly banned by the Spanish as they were perceived as rivals to those of Spain. And these were laws which continued in Spanish-ruled South America, especially in Peru and Bolivia. These protectionist laws led to the breakup of the Spanish Empire as it prevented um, expansionism and commercial success. But they also stilted the development of the country's wines. 
maybe if the Spanish had allowed the development of the vine in Mexico, Peru and Bolivia, we'd be talking about these countries in a much more vital and vibrant sense. The fact that these Spanish Empire countries didn't have markets or weren't allowed markets is of course in contrast to many of the Old World regions in Europe which had established domestic and international markets to their advantage, trading across Europe and also into North America as well as um, trade and colonial expansion occurred. Whereas many of the um, New World regions, even though they have lots of history and actually some age to them, they do have during their young history, many localised historic um, tribulations which have held their um, history back. So, for example, California's wine industry, which was growing in the 19th century, was vanitly interrupted by prohibition. Australia had an over-reliance on fortified wine until the 1960s. South Africa had apartheid, which held its wines back in the the, um, 1900s. And Argentina and Chile had dictatorships throughout the 20th century. And for these many reasons, the wines of these countries have only emerged internationally since the 1980s onwards, which is really when these terms Old and New World uh, become to develop, because these wines coming from South America, North America, South Africa, Australia and New Zealand were seen as modern, contemporary, new, vibrant, doing something different, having an irreverence, breaking up what the norm was at that time, whereas the old world was the European vine, European wines, which were seen as quite staid and traditional and doing things they have been, they had been doing for centuries. It is more complicated than that. The success of Malbec in Argentina is because the vines had been planted there for centuries. Likewise with Chile, they had the vines ready to go, even if they weren't quite sure what they were. South Africa had a long winemaking tradition, so when it's after apartheid it was ready to release on the international market, it already had a domestic wine market to base on. And Australia's wine market also goes back to the 19th century as well, just like California. But it's only really in the last 30 to 40 years that these countries have emerged internationally, and that's where this concept of old world versus new world uh, becomes used. But for all the difficulties that New World regions have had, which has held back their development over the last 200 years, we could also say the same about European regions, which have been ravaged by wars for centuries. So no wine region has had it easy, so why differentiate between Old and New World? In the 20th century in Europe, there have been military dictatorships, communism, two world wars, and the creation of new countries. And defining some of these regions, like Fruli and um, in northeast Italy and neighbouring Slovenia is actually quite complicated as the borders have changed quite a lot. And finally, we have to recognise that some of the um, what we feel are historic established European regions do actually have a young modern identity, such as Ribera del Duero in Spain, which really only emerges as a, as a major international region in the 1980s, and likewise Rioja Baixas on the uh, Galician coast in Spain, before which the wines were uh, relatively unknown. And although there's lots of history in those regions, it's only in the 1980s that they became internationally successful. And then there's one last question, which kind of sums up the difficulty in defining old world and new world. Is England old world or new world? And we'll discuss that question right at the end of the episode. But I think if we are going to differentiate between old world and new world, style is the key point between um, old world and new world. And we're going to look at some examples of styles of wine which are clearly from an old world perspective or from a new world perspective. And this comes down to the ripeness of the fruit, the nature of the acidity, 
and the texture of the tannins for a red wine. So first example is Zinfandel. So Zinfandel is the classic California grape variety, which has ripe black, blue and black fruits, almost jammy aromas, floral, perfumed aromas, and generally ripe, almost soft tannins with high alcohol. And you can see my episodes on Zinfandel, which I recorded a few years ago, for more information on the nature of that grape variety. It was cultivated by Italian immigrants in the 19th century in California, which gives it a strong European identity. But the fruit profile is more discernibly ripe. It is genetically almost identical to Primitivo, grown in dry, dusty Puglia, which is the heel of Italy's boot. But these wines, Primitivo and Zinfandel, are quite different. The berries ripen earlier um, for Primitivo. The fruit is jammy and more simple. The tannins are ripe but dustier. And the wines are best used as part of a blend. So producing different styles, although they're very similar, and used in different ways as well. The wines are similar in many respects, not least the high alcohol, but because Zinfandel is better understood in California, the wines are arguably superior. And it is interesting that the warm climate of California and the warm climate of Puglia, you would think they would produce very similar wines, but the wines of Puglia, where it is very warm and very dry, are quite different from the wines of California, which are, yes, jammy, yes, ripe, but not too much so, where whereas Primitivo in Puglia can be a little too soft. It's other grape varieties which work better. And sometimes there's more to be learned from the history of a supposedly new world country than an old world. I think we get more of an understanding of Zinfandel from California than we do from Italy, or indeed Croatia, where it actually originates, and where the wines are quite different again. Let's go on to Sauvignon Blanc, which has become so globally famous because of its success in New Zealand where the wines are quite different from those of the Loire, which is the region in France where Sauvignon Blanc is most famous. In the 1980s, New Zealand was perfectly poised to take advantage of a slump in the quality of wine in the Loire, even if it hadn't fully been preparing to do so. The wine industry was just getting up and going. But the different styles of wine give an indication of the different approaches to winemaking between Old and New World. In the Loire, most producers have a reverent, hands-off approach. In fact, it became difficult to distinguish Loire Sauvignon Blanc in a blind tasting, even though it's usually such an easy-to-spot variety. There's no problem like that with New Zealand, where the wines are much more pungent in their aromatics. In part, that's because New World winemakers are considered more irreverent, and that is seen in approaches to winemaking. Because most wine in New Zealand was transported to custom-crushed facilities when wine was first started making there in the 70s and 80s, there was plenty of skin contact, which extracted the herbaceous aromatics we associate with the variety. Instead of trying to subdue the aromatics, New Zealand winemakers exaggerated them even further, with even more skin contact, which many Loire producers, though not all, avoid. Deliberate restraint versus irreverent exaggeration could be one way of describing the difference between old and new world, and clearly comparing a New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc and a Loire Sauvignon Blanc, it should be very evident which is which. Let's go back to a black grape variety, Cabernet Sauvignon, which of course is related to Sauvignon Blanc. This is where the differences between Old and New World become simultaneously easy and difficult to describe. In a blind tasting with practice, a Napa Cab and a Left Bank Cab, dominant wine, are quite apparent. The Napa fruit is ripe, often opulent, with overt winemaking, chocolate and coffee from excessive use of new oak, a wine from the left bank is more reserved in its fruit profile and the use of new oak, but with a powerful structure for long ageing. 
In the 1990s, many Napa producers followed the trend for long hang time in order to get as much sugar, and therefore alcohol, from the grates for big, full-bodied, high-alcohol wines. As a crude generalisation, that extra level of extraction sums up many New World wines. However, many Bordeaux producers were influenced by the success of these wines, and also produced extracted, heavily oaked wines. Old and New World differences were lost by international trends, as also happened in chateauneuf de pape So, Bordeaux influenced Napa, Napa influenced Bordeaux, Bordeaux influenced Napa, Napa influenced Bordeaux. And that's where the making that differentiation between Old and New World can become quite complicated. But we'd expect Napa to be fruitier and more chocolatey, whereas Bordeaux a bit more strained and elegant. So how do we distinguish all the different Cabernet Sauvignon grown around the world? And there is probably an overlying theme between the New World regions, even if they have their own qualities, which shows that we just can't talk about New World as a generalisation, even if it is an entry point. But let's start with Bordeaux, because that is where the influence around the world comes from for Cabernet Sauvignon. So the highest quality Bordeaux tastes like the year it comes from. Whereas a region like Napa is harder to pin down, as the vintages are often very common in their style. Tannins from Bordeaux are fine and measured. Napa are ripe and mouth-coating. South Africa is generally a blend and tastes like riper versions of Bordeaux. Margaret River is restrained, but riper in fruit and tannin than Bordeaux. Mendoza is powerful and ripe, and similar to Malbec. Whereas Chile is greener and more herbaceous. There are many different styles, really based upon the ripeness of the fruit, but also the tannin. And we'll look at tannin in a second and how that helps us distinguish between old and new world. Let's look at burgundy. When I'm tasting Pinot Noir in a blind tasting, there's usually a burgundy. And I look for the burgundy by spotting which is the stinkiest. Even the best, most creative new world Pinots don't have that distinctive farmyard character. Now, stinky doesn't seem like a positive characteristic. But there is that slight lack of cleanliness, a slight dirtiness, a slight farmyard animal element to red burgundy, which you just don't get in the new world, which is going to be much cleaner and riper in the fruit profile. And so usually the red burgundy should stand out after you get used to kind of tasting all these different wines. I find Chardonnay harder to distinguish. But within Burgundy, there's an elegance to even the most powerful wines, such as from Merceau, with the integrated use of new oak. In contrast, even the best New World Chardonnay has a ripeness and richness of the fruit, unlikely to be found in Burgundy. And so for regions which are considered quite cool, like Sonoma Coast in California, or Adelaide Hills in Australia, there's still a fruitiness to the wines that you don't get in Burgundy, which is much more about the oak and the acidity. However, it's very difficult to distinguish all these different international styles of Chardonnay because winemaking can be very similar. And so these wines can taste very similar regardless from where they're from. It's more about identifying the quality. But if we're identifying Burgundy, there should be a lack of overt fruitiness. Then there's Riesling. Fresh from my mind as I just returned from Germany. Riesling is grown all around the world. But we perhaps don't break it down into old versus new world in quite the same way, as it's not as widely or universally planted as, say, Chardonnay. But also because the German expressions are seen as the most standard in leading the reputation and style of Riesling. However, however it's complicated because there are lots of different styles grown, made in Germany, from dry to lusciously sweet, from low alcohol to medium alcohol, usually with lots of acid. And these styles 
even though lots of them are generally in complete contrast to those of Australia, where the climate is very different. German Riesling comes in all sorts of sweetness, although the wines have become drier because of international trends. Whether dry or sweet, there is a purity to the fruit which is at the heart of the style. In contrast, Australian Riesling has the smoky petrol aromas associated with Riesling from an early part of the bottle maturation. The extra sunshine in Australia, in Clare Valley and Eden Valley, emphasises those aromas, which Germans wouldn't want to see for another 20 years. Early evidence of smoke petrol aromas means, in Germany, that there was too much exposure to sunshine during the growing season. There's no right or wrong, just different attitudes to style. So differentiating between a German Riesling, which has this really gentle fruitiness, regardless of whether it's dry or sweet, with an Australian Riesling, which has this very intense, sharp, lime zest aromas, which very quickly develop um, petrol smoke aromas, which we associate with Riesling, very much more apparent in young Australian Riesling than it is with um, German Riesling. So those are different grape varieties and styles of wine. Now to look at some of the structural elements, which may be a clue as to whether the wine is old world or new world. So tannins are key for red wine, of course. I've already mentioned tannins quite a bit, as they are absolutely key to identifying the origin of a red wine, which doesn't make it easy, but it is key. This is as much a regional and varietal difference, but tannins are perhaps the best way of summarizing the differences between old and new world wines. In California, regardless of the variety, they're usually very ripe. In Chile, they can be quite green. In Argentina, firm, ripe and spicy. In South Africa, ripe and chewy. In Australia, ripe and meaty. In New Zealand, ripe and smooth. The common word, except for Chile, being ripe. In Europe, this word is much less likely to be used. Instead, we use fine, grainy, coarse, underripe, gripping, chewy, powdery, chalky. The ripe tannins of the New World are not necessarily more obvious or less subtle, but they are arguably easier to describe and give a softness to the structure of the wine. Moreover, the ripe tannins of a New World wine region integrate with those of an old wine region in different ways, as the fruit is likely to be ripe too. So we have ripe fruit, ripe tannins, compared to slightly less ripe fruit and slightly less ripe tannins in the old world. The other structural element is acidity. In general, a cooler climate produces higher acidity, for example in Champagne, Chablis or Loire. A warmer climate produces lower acidity, without the piercing freshness of a cool climate. This is a simple way of distinguishing old and new world wines. However, there are plenty of warm European climates where acidity is not naturally high. Although grape varieties have adapted to warm conditions to maintain high acidity, acertico in Greece, for instance, and so that, although that is a warm climate, the fact that the grape variety has been planted there for thousands of years means it is naturally suited to the local conditions, which may not be the case in many New World regions. There are also plenty of cool climates in the so-called New World, but acidity is likely to be crisp rather than racy, and the fruit's noticeably riper. So again, think of Sonoma Coast Chardonnay in contrast to white Burgundy. An exception is Australian Riesling, as already mentioned, where the acidity may also come from acidification as much as the grapes themselves. And that is um, something to discern in your own tasting practices. So let's finish with England. Is England an old world or a new world wine producing country? I genuinely have no idea. As with many other areas in Europe, wine has been produced since Roman times, but it's only since the 1990s that quality wine has been produced. 
that ought to make it a new world region, especially given recent investment and um, development of the sparkling wine style to rival that of Champagne, which is a very recent development. But the searing acidity of the wines means it ought really to be considered old world, because very few new world regions will have the acidity of an English sparkling wine. But one could say that's about Canada, too. Is the definition of old versus new world based on style or on history? Texture? The nature of the wines? The winemakers themselves? Their attitude? The taste? Personal perception? Or should we just ignore the terms altogether? I don't think we should. I think they're a good introduction into understanding all the different regions of the world. But we should always be looking at the specifics of the locality of the, lo of the, of the local region, rather than thinking about it in broad skirt broad terms, that the wines of California are the same as New Zealand, just as the wines of Greece are the same as France, which of course is not true. So we should always be looking at the specifics. But I hope that gives an overview and an introduction into um, how to think about old world and new world wines. So thank you for listening. This is Matthew, and this has been Matthew's World of Wine and Drink.